You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. Electric eels aren't real, quote-unquote, eels. Right. They're, they're a fish. They're a knife fish. What can they teach us? Humans want to learn about. And it's even noted that the electric eel is was inspiration for the creation of the battery, Mm -hmm. our modern-day battery that we use. Many species are in crisis and need your help. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. Welcome to All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris. And I'm Angie. You're a poor little sick Angie. I'm sorry. Well, I'm on the up and up. It's uh, actually the best I've felt since pretty much the last time we talked. So mm-hmm. um, good thing we, we had uh, seven days in between to do research for eels. Yes, electric yes. Electric eel. That's amazing. Yeah. And that kept me pretty entertained doing a lot of research this week when I was laying in bed and... Uh, it kept me up and excited for the most part and feeling all right as I was laying in bed trying to nurse myself back to health. We mm-hmm. had a little visit from good old influenza A in my household yeah. this week. Uh, not so, fun. And I did a lot of research on it, the science dork in me, and I, I, I can tell you one thing. The A does not stand for awesome. No, <laughs> I can think of expletives to describe it. Yeah, awful. It was, I, I've mm-hmm. never had, I've never had the flu as an adult that, mm-hmm. uh, or really that I can ever remember. And I, I had no idea that it was a five to seven day ordeal. And, yeah. um, yeah, it was, it was nuts. So yeah, not fun, but hopefully, it's uh, out of our house, and like I said, there was a lot of time to be amazed and awe by the electric eel, so that, that kept me yeah. going, that's for sure. I know, I know. Well, I'm glad you're a trooper, and you know, you were able to rally to record tonight, but for this one, I mean, another like, creepy, crawly animal, you know, inspired Shocking. by- it's a shy, I was <laughs> shocked multiple <laughs> times this <laughs> this week, learning some of these facts uh, mm-hmm. are just, it's just- Incredible. And I just kept thinking of Mallory. I'm, I'm sure this is a species she must love that probably mm-hmm. doesn't get a lot of love. And, and, uh, I have to thank John too, because he actually has been encouraging me to do the, the electric eel since this, uh, about a year ago, we went to the national zoo mm-hmm. and they have an electric eel 
on display there. And we were just, it, uh, we were just so amazed by the physiology of some of the educational boards they had going up there teaching us about it. And it's, uh, but it was a hard species for me, Chris. I don't, uh, I mean, you Very. and I are, you and I are physiologists, mm-hmm. but we don't specialize in fish by any stretch of the imagination. And then once again, we're back to this, like, I wish I would have paid more attention in physics. Physics. <laughs> yeah. I know. I was going to say physics. I know. <laughs> it's like, this is why we study physics. Yeah. I, I'm trying to understand how, how this, uh, electric current works and how they mm-hmm. can, you know, discharge it. And, and so, but I, I think, like I said, I had nothing but time, um, this week to kind of, watch a lot of videos and slow them down and do a lot of reading and go back to some old journals. So hopefully you'll enjoy this pod and you'll s- stick with us and learn a lot yeah. as well too. There's some seriously fun facts. Oh, one of yeah. the things that I, as I was reading and reading and learning about them, one of the main things I thought to myself, well, if they're discharging a volt of anywhere from six to 800 volts, mm-hmm. how do they not hurt themselves? I, that's a good question. I'm like, I'm curious because I was, I, when I ran down the rabbit hole, cause you're right, it's so much science behind them. And you know, what have I, it's so funny. You and I were cracking up because you sent me an article a couple of days ago from our buddy at Vanderbilt, Dr. Yes. Ken Catania, who mm-hmm. we talked about last week with the star nose mole. And you're mm-hmm. like, is this the same guy? And I'm laughing. I'm like, it's the exact same guy. <laughs> He's like so our new fan researcher. Yeah, like we are, we're, we're his fans. Uh, yes. He's not our fan. He doesn't know about yeah. us, but yes. We, yeah. He's amazing. He's really into obviously electrophysiology or mm-hmm. neuroethology is a word that I learned, mm-hmm. um, which is pretty awesome. I want to be a neuroethologist. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it was, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's just amazing. So stick with us and you'll learn how they don't hurt themselves mm-hmm. um, for the most part. And of course, other amazing, amazing facts and how it works. Yeah. Like how do they generate it? Is it dangerous to us? I mean, there's, there's all these things we, we were talking about and I just opened up because you said this was a fish. This is what I found interesting right off the bat. Electric eels aren't real quote unquote eels. Right. They're, they're a fish. They're a knife fish. Yeah. But they're called eels because they look like it. So we'll get into some of the differences, but yeah, Angie, it was a lot of physics, just a lot of research, you know, and how this works. And, and yeah, it, it, it harkened back to some science <laughs> classes that I took a long time ago. Well, long, yeah, of me not yeah. paying attention in those physics right. and sci- classes. I was obviously new from a young age that I had a lot more interest in biology and, uh, and I've learned to love chemistry because of mm-hmm. biochemistry. Mm-hmm. And now I have to learn about biophysics is what I'm finding out. And that is going to be a head scratcher. It's going to take more than just a week of prepar- preparation. That's I know. Sure. I know. I know. Well, I think, you know, the, since we, we said they're a knife fish, I think we should describe them first because they, they do look like an eel. What you would think an eel would look like, right? Oh, this- yeah. I mean, ex- exactly like an eel. I mean, there, to me, there's no difference. But I, once again, we're not fish biologists. So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, they have this elongated body. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, cylind- cylindrical. And I, I this blew me away. They can grow up to be almost eight feet long. Yeah. Over two meters. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like eight feet long? Like, holy smokes. That is a big, 
fish, big yes. eel. You know, we'll still call them eels, but yeah, I mean, it weighs up to almost 50 pounds. I mean, these things are big. They're not little things you think in the water when you think of eels. They are big, big, big. And then, you know, when you look at the colors, so they're, they're dark gray or brown on the back and mm-hmm. then yellow or orangish on the belly. And then what I read the females are darker on the, on the bottom. Mm-hmm. And, and smaller too. Right. They're right. Not quite they as big as the males. Right. And they don't have scales. So even though they're in quote unquote knife fish, they don't have scales like that. They, you know, they, they have like a skin. Well, yeah. Chris, no scales, but they do have a thick, slimy cover over their skin, over their entire body. And mm-hmm. so we'll be talking about that a little bit later on and what it's used for as well. But yeah, no, no scales, not like a true fish. Right. And they have like, well, they have little like pectoral fins, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Little tiny ones near up the head. They have this super long body. And then they have these, they call them anal fins mm-hmm. that extend down the body that kind of, uh, they're wavy, you know, it helps them swim. Yeah. It runs so. basically out yeah, the whole length of the body. Right. Right. I mean, it's just amazing. Then you look at their face and their mouth is square mm-hmm. at the end of the snout. And then the picture that I'm looking at, they have pits all throughout, right? They're, mm-hmm. they're sensing around their head and their body. And these are electroreceptors. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk about that, about what these do, but really they, these things live in really murky water. Mm-hmm. And so their eyesight's horrible, terrible. Yeah, they, but they, they have these cute little beady eyes though. Right. They right. Have right. Cute right. Beady eyes that look blue, at least in the photos. I don't know if they're uh-huh. blue. But yeah, these, these pits that are around the whole body is used to sense this electrical field. And that's how they navigate around. Almost reminds me of, you know, Amazon river dolphins. Remember sure. their eyes? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they use their mm-hmm. navigation, the clicks and stuff to navigate around. So again, just, you know, amazing looking animal, beautiful and just a crazy physiology. So saying that what, what they look like, where they do live, the Amazon river dolphins is in South America. Absolutely. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the Northern part of South America. So the range goes from Brazil. Uh, you've been to some of these places, Venezuela, Colombia, Ecuador, Check. Peru, not, not Colombia, which is just embarrassing yeah. mm-hmm. I need to get there. Visit Anna's hometown. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. 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 But Ecuador, Czech, Peru, Czech, um, mm-hmm. Brazil, Amazon basin, Czech, yeah. Right. I gotta get down there. Gotta get down there. But I was not in the Amazon. I was on a boat far away from any eels while no. looking for pink river dolphins where the meeting of the waters are. So yeah, I didn't uh, see any electric eels. That's for sure. No, 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 no. I mean, it'd be cool to see them, but I mean, and I did see the, one of Mallory's favorites. I know she told me is the New Zealand freshwater eels and I've seen them plenty of times. Okay. You know, they're, mm-hmm. they're really cool and, but not as big as these. I mean, the, the New Zealand eels are definitely not as big as these. I mean, eight feet. That's just insane. That's insane. That's insane. Mm-hmm. So they, they didn't have it. They're, they're freshwater and they're usually in the flood plains, the swamps, the creeks, small rivers, you know. That's where they they live in these stagnant calm waters is generally where they like to be. Mm-hmm. You know, to hunt and and survive. So, South America, here we come. Yay! I know. Feels I know. good to be back. And I I found a cool fact before I, I jump into a little bit about the the biome down there. 
There are 250 species of electricity generating fish in South America. That's so, crazy. That is yeah. a lot. Yeah. Cause I, cause I didn't find that number, but I found that there's about 716 species of electro fish mm-hmm. worldwide. Right. Right. So that's a large chunk of them mm-hmm, in the mm-hmm. Amazon. That's awesome. And most of them use it for defense, but as you're going to find out with the electric eel, they use it to hunt mm-hmm. very well, which our, our friend, Dr. Ken, you know, reading all his stuff, we have to get him on. We have to get him on. We have, I'm going to, I'm going to put a bloodhound on it. We're going to see if we can nail him down for an interview. Cause I would love yeah. to talk to awesome. about the moles. Yeah. The moles and now electric eels and just laugh and say, you know, big fans of his and his research, but Angie, before we, you know, jump into more of the physiology, I, you know, I've been obviously doing this the last few months and talking about the biome and, and I wanted to kind of update people on where we are in the Amazon mm-hmm. because last year you and I were talking about it when the fires were a big deal. And we know after our pod a few, few weeks back talking about Australia, Australia's fires dwarfed the Amazon fires. Like the Australia fires were just horrific, just unprecedented. Just, I mean, quickly reading, you know, some of the news that's coming out of Australia. There's been a lot of rain down there in New South Wales. So it's definitely uh, hampered the fires, which is good. And I know some of our friends from, from Global Wildlife Conservation, Robin Moore's been down there the past week. And so he's been down there in Australia looking at the impacts on the animals and things like that. So it'll be interesting to keep following him on social media where we go with that. But Angie, what I... I really wanted to talk about today at the Amazon is where, where are we and what is the data showing? Because we keep talking off and on about, you know, the Amazon and it's, it's a big problem, things like that. So Angie, the, the most important question scientists that are studying the Amazon are asking is this tipping point. And that is how much deforestation with coupled with global climate change can this tropical biome tolerate? Before it changes the thing, they're looking specifically as rainfall. Sure. And Mm -hmm. instead of it being a rainforest, it's going to become a savanna. And with that, yeah, it's going to pause right there. That's really heavy. Yeah. Yeah. So no more rainforest, just savanna, you know, where the, the rainforest is gone, all those animals are gone. And now you just have this savanna of grasslands or, Whatever can survive on there, probably cattle grazing on it, which I'm going to get to at the end of the podcast, but also a lot of carbon stored. We know that in these trees and plants. Of course. Yeah. Carbon sequestration, carbon sequestration. So I found a paper and this was a, a a cool paper because it's out of Florida, you know, uh, so Robert Walker was, uh, the, the lead author and this was out of UF. And this was out of Cell, but the Cell, it's an offshoot journal called One Earth. So I think it's a new journal that they're putting out. Cool. And the title is Avoiding Amazonian Catastrophes, Prospects for Conservation in the 21st Century. I like it. Tell okay. me, how do we do it? Yes. This? So it's, it's, it's a very interesting paper. This just came out just last year, a few months ago. And the major threat to the Amazon right now is this new infrastructure program in this portion of the world in South America. It's not just Brazil, it's the other countries. 
and it's called the Initiative for the Integration of the Regional Infrastructure of South America. So they're, what they're looking at is the effects this will have on the forest-based rainfall recycling loop because the rainforest needs to be there to recycle and generate this rainfall that keeps it going. So they're, I mean, the bottom line, the findings they found is the Amazon basin in, in less than 30 years would totally collapse and turn into savanna, total dry savanna because the rainforest provides a lot of evaporation and transpiration from the trees. Of course. That yeah. produces half of the Amazonian rainfall. Wow. So when you start removing these trees and plants and everything, that starts to, to fall apart. And we just talked about it down in Australia, how climate change and these currents and the thing that's happened in the ocean, how it affects the environment there, what rainfall, weather patterns. Well, that's starting to be seen in South America. We keep down this path. These scientists are predicting that it's going to have a huge impact. And again, you're going to have these huge rainforest gone. That's just Savannah. So, there is a lot of debate, obviously, but things like the, the infrastructure that, that they're doing in the Amazon, not only is it deforestation, which is mainly for, for cattle, is what I found, but hydropower dams, mines, building roads, that when you build these roads, you clear the forest for kilometers on each side. So you're just building these highways and, and putting pavement down which again is not good for, you know, climate change, things like that. So they're really worried. They are, you know, they're predicting 21 to 43% of the Amazon could be gone by the year 2050, which is in 30 years. And they mm -hmm. think if this, if we continue on the path we're on, that we're past the tipping point. Okay. So the good time, news. Time to do stuff. The good news. Yes. Okay. So it's a very dense article, but you know, that's kind of where they went with it with their projections. The good news is, is that we need to keep the pressure on in the media and global consumers because it is having an impact on specifically Brazil's agribusiness and they are feeling the pressure. And, and, uh, Dr. Walker said people need to get really active. He said he doesn't think it's necessarily like for us in the U.S. writing your congress congressman or woman. Okay. Mm -hmm. He's like, you need to protest. You need to boycott. You need to to be loud. Okay. And like we say in this program, vote with your dollar. Yes. Because it's having an impact, and they're 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 listening, and they're reacting. The major companies down there, they're reacting. So, you know, we need to keep the pressure on. We need to protect the Amazon. So many species, such incredible biodiversity, and like this electric eel, again, another species that is just amazing. It's amazing. Uh, amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. And it's, you know, just, just to start it off, why I care about electric eels? Just they're a top order predator in fresh water. Sure. So that they obviously have a, have an effect on other animals in there. So they are very important to the ecosystem there in maintaining balance, but they're also, we've talked about this in other species, a bioindicator for pollution. 
Mm-hmm. You know, they, they live a long time. You're going to find out, you know, 15 to 20 years in the same system. So if there's any sort of disturbance or, you know, things like, I know mining, they're dumping tons of mercury in those rivers in the Amazon. Those things that, you know, if they start turning up dead, you're like, uh oh, something's wrong in the ecosystem. So they're very critical to these fresh waters that they're in on top of the biomedical stuff, right? Yeah, I was going to say, we're not the first people to come across them and think that they're amazing, right? Mm-hmm. It's pretty much from Darwin forward, uh, an incredible and shocking for, sorry, gotta, I'm not sick enough to not do silly puns, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, of course, indigenous people, they hold their own special myth and lore and fear and um, all of that. But then when uh, Western researchers came in and scientists from Darwin forward, I mean, reading through all the literature and just names like Faraday came up, Volta, Mm -hmm. uh, and then Mm -hmm. obviously researchers now, Northwestern and John Hopkins and uh, Vanderbilt. And so, I mean, it's just people have been very interested and very curious about the superpowers of the electric eel for a long, mm-hmm. long time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we're not, we're definitely not alone. We're not, you know, I mean, they are radical and they have really cool biophysical properties that humans want to learn about. And it's even noted that the electric eel is, was inspiration for the creation of the battery, mm-hmm. our modern day battery that we use. So, I mean, it's just, it's awesome. And, and they've been sharing a lot of their secrets with us, especially in this day and age because of the brilliant researchers that are trying to un- figure out their biophysiology. And they understand a lot of it. And we're going to dive deep into that here in a little bit. So just you wait. But some of the things that people are studying, uh, researchers in Yale are, thinking and hoping that if they could replicate the electric behavior of how the electric eels, how these cells work, these electrocytes, and we'll talk about those, and improve upon them, they could make an artificial version that could be a power source for like medical implant devices mm-hmm. and microscopic, biomicroscopic devices. Uh, researchers at John Hopkins, Northwestern, they're started, they're studying the electric field that they produce, and we'll talk about that also. Uh, but they want to understand not only how they do it, but mimic it in a robot. And these robots potentially could do that as well and use a similar sixth sense, if you will, to monitor the health of coral reefs or to potentially navigate murky waters in an ocean spill for cleanup purposes. So it's just, I mean, the the research world is just very, very interested. And if you think about the electric eel, and we'll talk about this too, after it discharges a big volt mm-hmm. of electricity, it you don't have to plug it back in, right? Nope. Nope. It nope. bio-recharges. It's a biology. It's all biology. So that's also, you know, has a lot of researchers scratching their heads, at, you know, wanting to figure out, you know, if we could get some of these, you know, get some of these devices to bio recharge um, mm-hmm. more efficiently and, um, and at all, uh, for lack of better terms. So 
I mean, it's just, it's just incredible. It really, what we can learn. Yeah. And, and the inspiration that they've already been. Um, and I know they're probably not going to win any awards for cuteness, but (laughs) that's why I'm starting to think this Mallory is onto something about these crawler creatures. They, I mean, I mean, they seriously, it's like a, they're, it's, you know, it's like a, a super, my, my boys are so into like superheroes and all the super Mm. powers that they have. I mean, this is definitely a superpower. Oh, it is. It is all biology driven too. It's all biology driven. Yeah. I was reading how they, they want to, you know, they're researching how to take human, adult human stem cells and reprogram them to be these electrocytes. And then even, you know, one of the scientists, she was laughing. She's like, I, you know, I'm not promising that you're going to have electric organs anytime soon, or you'll be able to charge your, your cell phone, but maybe. Maybe one day, you know, you don't have to plug your cell phone in. It just charges off your body. Like, yeah, just crazy, yeah. crazy, crazy, crazy biology. It's amazing. That's why, you know, like before we even started recording, you're like, this is why we do what we do. We learn so much cool stuff. Yes. Each week, you know, yeah, and then we get to was, share it with everybody. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's just rad. It's super rad. And, yeah. it's, and like I said, it's, uh, super fun species. And even though I was a little under the weather, I mm-hmm. definitely am glad to be recording tonight and getting to share this, uh, with all of our listeners. Yeah. The electric so, eel. Yeah. It's cool. Well, and you know, saying that they're an eel. So I, I figured we, we'd talk about what's an eel versus a knife fish. So, you know, like we said, electric eels are not actual eels. They're actually closer to carp and catfish. Right. Which is kind of, yeah, yeah which is That's funny. Weird. And so an eel is what they called a ray finned fish and its order is anguliforms. So break it down to 111 genera and about 800 species. Okay. Of eels. So I'm sure we're going to revisit eels at some oh, point yeah. in the future. For yeah. Sure. Like a real eel, maybe something in the ocean or the New Zealand freshwater eels. But the electric eel is what's a knife fish, which they just look like, you know, it's a knife is, is where they, mm-hmm. they found their name. There's these fish that are long that have these long anal fins. And so then they look like a knife. And so specifically the South American knife fish are part of this group called gymnaniforms. I think I said that right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, long bodies, you know, elongated fins. Almost always in fresh water. Sometimes they're in that brackish water, but mostly just, uh, in, in fresh water in, in South America. Now, there are other knife fishes that do have weak electric fields, just not as strong as you're going to find out with the electric eel. The electric eels, now you have these gymnatiforms. They're part of the f- electric eels belong to the family gymnatodae. And these are called the naked back knife fishes. So they don't have like any top, top or dorsal fins, fins. you know? Yeah. It's just mm-hmm. flat, you know, uh, cylindrical bodies. It's just that fin is underneath. Now there's over 40 species in this family. Now the electric eel is part of the genus Electrophorus, mm-hmm. which is kind of funny. Their species yeah, name is great. Electrophorus electricus. So, yeah. you know, One of my favorites so far. I know. For sure. It's great. 
Now they, they did say this was the only species in that genus, but now just recently after doing some genetics, they think they found two other species of electric yeah, eels. Three. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's still, they're still generating that, uh, that data. So we don't, we don't have that definitive yet in science, but it looks like there's three species. No, what is pretty cool is some of the data that's coming out of there is that this newer species uh, is generating more electric current than mm-hmm. the previously established uh, number. So usually in the literature, we talk about um, an electric shock from an electric eel is going to be around 600 volts. And we'll cover more of that in detail here in a second. Um, but basically what they have found is a, um, a, a knife fish or an electric mm-hmm. eel that can produce a jolt of 860 volts. <laughs> it's okay. I know they, they're like, Oh my gosh, we found this one that shocks you even more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And this is out of 2019, like a few months ago. I mean, right. Not, right. It's yeah, recent, very recent discovery. Data. Yeah. So just really, really cool. And as far as what, you know, deeper we go into the Amazon while it's still here, mm-hmm. the more we find. I know. That's just going to say, like, we're discovering new species all the time mm-hmm. and, you know, new animals and new abilities, you know, superpower abilities you talked about. So it's yeah, science. It's amazing. It's amazing. You got to love it. So with all that being said, these knife fishes, Angie, there's not a lot on evolution in knife fishes. I dug and dug. There's there's good stuff on eels, but I can't cover that because this isn't a true eel, you mm-hmm. know, and, and how eels are pretty much all around the world. These knife fishes, it, there's not a lot on it. What I can say is fish evolution is very old. I mean, 530 yeah, years ago. Yeah, I found somewhere that the yeah. um, gymnotophores – we're, uh, of course, you know, this is a freshwater fish. Mm-hmm. The only known fossils, um, for, were from about seven million years yeah. ago. That's in it. Bolivia. That's what you find. <laughs> That's their evolution's <laughs> history right there. It's that one I fossil. I did it. I helped Chris finally on evolution. <laughs> That's, I just had to be in bed all week, right? <laughs> to, That's it. <laughs> you found it. That's what I found. To find that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I tried fun. to find knife fishes and I was like, uh, oh, it was just, uh, cause I wanted to dork out on, elect- on the electric stuff more. But yeah, so fish obviously have been around for a long time, you know, over 500 million years, survived every mass extinction. They're, like you, Angie said, the, the only fossil was found 7 million years ago. But what I did find doing a little digging mm-hmm. is this evolution of this ability to generate electricity. Yes. Began about 200 million years ago. And these electrocytes that we're going to talk a lot about today is they've evolved from muscle cells. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk a little bit about membrane potential. We're, we're, we're going to keep it fun and exciting to keep people, you know, how this works. But they found that through evolution, these fish that were able to, these muscle cells were able to evolve a little bit to generate an electric field, gave them an advantage, evolutionary sure. speaking, whether it was defense or or navigation, mm-hmm. you know, so, and the only way they've been able to find that is through genetics, you know, doing a lot of mm-hmm. genetic testing. They find these old genes and said, oh, wow. So that's how they're, they're able to date it. 
Gotcha. Yeah. Well, what I found fascinating is with these 716 species of fish mm-hmm. that can do this electrogenesis is that it's come, they're not all related on the phylogenetic tree. Yeah, right. Right. Convergent evolution. Yep. And so they think that it's, uh, yeah, through convergent evolution. So independently in places of like the Amazon or mm-hmm. Africa, mm-hmm. um, that it's it's come up eleven different times. It's evolved separately. That this is a genius idea. This works in mm-hmm. these murky waters or whatever. So eleven different times that was that's been nature's solution to mm-hmm. help solve a problem, right? And then it right. worked really well. So mm-hmm. I just so fascinating. I mean, right. And, and it, and it does work well for them. And I, and I think that's why humans want to tap into it. It's right. Pretty, it's a superpower, right? It is. It's it is. A sixth it, sense, if you will. It is. It is. And it's just, you know, when you really start thinking about evolution and how it works and the step by step process and the millions of years it takes to get to where they are today. Mm-hmm. And 11 you know, separate it, occasions, it was like, this is a great idea. Let's go with this. Yeah. And it works for this species in, in yeah. this biome. Yeah. It's so cool. It's so cool. That's why I love the evolution part. I was like, uh, I dork out on it. All right. So Angie, I, you know, looking for the largest eel ever. Well, it's not a true eel. So I looked for something we haven't talked about was the largest fish ever. So. I don't the know if you take fish? it. The whale the, shark, the wh- I mean? It's close. It's close. Okay. It's bigger than the, the whale shark. Today, the whale shark's the largest fish. Gets up to 30 feet long. This one is lead sixth this. Lead sixth this. Lead sixth this. Okay. Lived about 150 million years ago. Largest fish. Got up to... Definitely scientists agree up to 40 feet long. Some have, think they've found some bones because it's hard. You know, fish are cart- mainly cartilage. A lot of them uh, got up to 50 feet long. So Yowzers. this yeah. large, massive, looks like a mackerel, just mm-hmm. huge 50 That's foot awesome. long fish. <laughs> Imagine that on the end of a fishing line. No, thanks. You know, but like, uh, you know, whale sharks are 30 feet in length. Mm-hmm. These things got, you know. What is that? One and a half times longer. Wow. Uh, yeah. So they're big. They were big. Yeah. They're big. Swimming around. Swimming around, eating good stuff. Good find. I got a good visual on that. There you go. So largest fish ever. There we go. Now, looking at eels, like we said, they, they, they can live up to 15 years, the males, and then the females can live up to 22 years. So they live a little bit longer. The physiology, I mean, obviously we're going to talk about the electric stuff, but what I found fascinating and I have some good graphics that, you know, I'll put on our show notes was most of their organs, like digestive organs, heart, all that stuff is in the front part of their body. It only makes about 20% of their total mass mm-hmm. are these organs. The re- remainder is these electrocytes or these electric organs that they have. Yeah. They've put a lot of stock in the <laughs> shock. It's crazy. It's yeah. crazy. Oh, their physiology is nuts. The anterior part is where most of that is. The posterior, the the, the back two thirds mm-hmm. or almost three quarters is these electrical organs. Now, just a couple of things before we jump into the electrocytes and stuff. They do have gills. And I, I don't know if you know this or not, Angie. They get most of their air. 80% of their oxygen is through breathing. 
They have to come Chris, up and breathe. Chris, yeah, I was in bed for a week <laughs> for the most part. I, really? Okay. This is what this is the rabbit hole I went down. Okay, okay, okay. They're a fish that breathe air. Yes, yes. Oblig- they're electric. Let me just everybody who was like kind of not really paying attention because they're like yeah. cleaning their house or driving or something. You should definitely be pay- keep keep your eyes on the road. But electric eels are obligate air breathers. They have to obligate. Breathe. They have yeah. to breathe air. But they're fish, and so it just blew my mind. I'm like, so maybe they're more of a salamander. Maybe Darwin got it wrong, or Linnaeus, mm-hmm. whoever classified them. They weren't. They are fish. Yeah. Um. But I just. Who knew? Nobody knew that. And I feel like, no, I mean, except for our buddy, Dr. Ken, he knew that. Uh, you didn't know that, did you? I had no, no idea. No, 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 no. I didn't know that. I know it's John like, didn't know that. Um, no. And they have so, to come. Yeah. <laughs> that's always my, he's always my litmus test. You know, so much stuff. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I just, I had no idea that fish, that that's even a thing that fish can breathe air. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's mm-hmm. a few, there's few species and some, some are not obligate, so some do it when they're they have the opportunity. Mm-hmm. But the electric eel receives almost eighty percent of their oxygen through their highly vascular vascularized mouth. Right, their mouth is almost like a lung. It's crazy. Know. You look at the picture when it it shows it. It's like it, it's you look in their mouth. It's nuts because uh, their lungs are right there. And I was like, whoa. Are they lungs though? Are they're like lung-like features, yeah, vascular okay. like like lungs yeah. that are in their mouth. I I I, I don't know. I'll see if I can find the link again. Yeah, but I, saw well, I, it. I found a really old paper from like the '60s or '70s, and mm-hmm. it basically describes that yeah, electric eels must rise to the surface every ten minutes or so to inhale mm-hmm. before returning to the bottom. Right, and yeah, like they get about eighty percent of their oxygen this way, and that. They have, yeah, these highly vascularized oral and pharyngeal mucosa. Yeah. And so air is taken in the mouth by snapping or gulfing movements. Expired air escapes through opular openings. I don't know what that word means. Uh, (laughs) uh, Mm -hmm. Or the mouth before the renewal of the air supply. And that they do have gills, but they are degenerated they're not they're not um, obviously compared to other fish they're not they're fewer and smaller right so right and so yeah they they did this documentary on the smithsonian channel and they open up their mouths and you look in it it's just it's it's crazy looking so i'll make sure i'll I'll post that link on the show notes so people can see it but i was like why you know i always ask why you know when i find something like that why and so it's these murky waters that they live in, the oxygen's so poor that there's not enough oxygen produced by the gills to be able to breathe. So they have, they've just evolved in these sooty areas where they got to come up and <gasps> get some air and then, you know, swim around for 10 minutes and then come back up. I mean, it's crazy. It's like something out of like a Dr. Seuss book or something. I mean, the fact mm-hmm, that it's a fish mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it needs air. Right, right. It's just nature is just amazing. It is amazing. It is. It is. is. Okay. So to jump into the meat and potatoes of the electric eel is these organs, these electricity producing organs. And there's three main ones, right? 
Mm-hmm. So you have the Hunter's electric organ, the main electric organ. This is the one that produces the main shock, the strong voltage. And then the, the Sachs electric organ that they use to navigate. So the stuff I was reading, and, and you can help dork out with me with, with Dr. Ken's stuff that he's producing, his videos on there, the stuff that you watch, he talks about. But electric fishes, and like the electric eel, they use weak pulses. So this Sachs organ is really used for navigation. It's almost like a radar that these pulses have this electric field around their body. And so there's, they call it a bubble of electric current around them. And as they swim and navigate, when something invades that, another animal, they'll detect that distortion and it helps them the position and the identity of what it is. Mm-hmm. So they kind of use that to go around. And then the, the hunters, I think kind of, I, you know, I was trying to figure out which one does what helps do some of these small pulses. And then the main one is the big zap, mm-hmm. you know, the big zap. Yeah. Well, and I think what's fascinating is this whole electro reception business. Right. And it is like a sixth sense. It makes sense that eels have it because, well, they're in these dark waters and they don't have great vision and they, and they don't have, this is, they're not able to smell necessarily. So this is how they sense their surroundings where we can Mm -hmm. see things from a distance or, uh, smell things or hear things. Uh, they can feel things through this electro reception and they're not alone. There's over like, 8,600 animals in the world that have this electroreceptive ability to feel electric fields. Mm-hmm. And most of them are fish or amphibians. Um, and then, of course, we talked about the the wacky one from down under, the platypus. Right. Yeah. And then just last week, talking about the star-nosed mole. Right. How they. <laughs> the tentacles, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it... It's, uh, it's definitely not unique to the electric eel, but it's just something to think about. We've talked in this pod before about echolocation with sound waves, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and how that m- must be like a sixth sense for some of the uh, bats and dolphins and things in whales that, that, that do this. And I would, I would, I definitely want to venture out and say that electroreception, being able to feel electric fields must be the same way. And us humans, we're, we're going to, we will never know how this feels, you know, Mm-mm. unfortunately, Mm-mm. unless somebody Mm-mm. builds us like a super suit or something. Like, right. Uh, what is it? Tony, uh, what's Iron Man? Tony Stark. Tony Stark. Tony Stark. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. There Johnny you go. proud. Um, yeah. but yeah, so we don't, we don't know what it, but it, it's definitely these electroreception is, Chris mentioned earlier in the podcast when he was describing their face is they have these pits and these, this ability to feel besides producing electric fields mm-hmm. and of course shocks, which we're going to talk big time about, but they can also feel them. Right. And it tells them a lot about their world and what's happening. And so this electro reception is just, I mean, obviously it's probably not quite as cool as being able to shoot electric bolts, but right, right. on the flip side, it's uh, really 
amazing for them to help navigate where they live. And it's definitely a, a sixth sense. Right, right. And we talked about the pits in their skin that, that mm-hmm. help this process. So yeah, it's just, oh, it's, it's nuts. So that's, a, you know, that's electroreception, right? Reception, that's the, feeling. Feeling the environment. Now going to how they produce. Yes. Good, good. How they, you're so great. You're such a great pod partner. <laughs> it's like, you just, you know, you, you feel what I'm thinking or you say what I'm thinking. All right. That's our, that's our super sense. That's Power, our, yeah. 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 That, that, that's sync. what makes us work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In sync, in sync. So, you know, you talked about Charles Darwin in the beginning and that's kind of where this story begins is when he was on the beagle, you know, looking at these, all these different species, this was the one that one of the ones he dissected and 80% of the fish's body looked like muscle tissue, but it wasn't really muscle tissue. And so this is what started the, the electric organs. Now, what we know in these electric organs are called, the cells are called, or they have these things called electrocytes. And these are what produce the electricity. Now, I read they had about 6,000 of them. I don't know if you saw mm-hmm. anything more. Yeah, okay. I, I saw that number tossed around as well, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they're like so, cells. Right, muscle cells. cells. So mu- muscle muscles, cells. muscle cells contract, right? Mm-hmm. We, we, you know, we're, we did some muscle biology way back in the day. So muscle cells contract. And so these kind of work like muscle cells. And the way, and not to get so nerdy in the details, but the oh, way. Oh, go for it. Why, okay. What's ever stopped us before? Know, you can always edit it down if it gets like too long. I know, too much. Okay. So the eel's brain says, okay, we want to generate electricity. So it, it releases a signal down the neurotransmitters. Right. Like we see an alligator. Up right. Ahead. We react. It's, it's coming instantly. for us. Right. Instantly your body reacts. It's adrenaline, things that in us with them, it goes down to these electrocytes. Well, and each of these electrocytes is connected by a nerve fiber. So the brain talking to the electrocyte. Right. Saying fire. Mm-hmm. Okay. So when that happens, that neurotransmitter hits it. There's a tiny little door, molecular door that allows. So the inside of the cell is negatively charged. The outside of the cell is positively charged. It opens up. In general, this is for all humans. So we, we have this going on big time in our bodies as well. Mm -hmm. Our muscles, right? Yep. Yep. So So, it's a sodium ion. I read somewhere just all, most of our cells have a little bit of current. We have like Mm -hmm. basically like 0.85 volts at resting. Okay. Assumes. Well, they have, yeah, they, they have, like, there's a little uh, higher. Right. There's 50, this... 50 millivolts is what I read or up to a hundred. Yeah. Millivolts. I read, I read 8.15 volts. Okay. So that's resting. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's, that's so a little always... higher than us, but we have this. We just, we just don't have these specialized cells to stacked. <laughs> to zap well, things. <laughs> exactly. Well, they're, they're basically stacked. These cells are stacked in long chains like a battery. So if you mm-hmm. imagine like a really long TV ro- remote and you had to put like hundreds of batteries in it, which would be super right. annoying. Right. That's how these st- these cells are like stacked in these long chains mm-hmm. on top of each other. Right, right. Okay. So you have a single one of those. These mm-hmm. ion little little door opens, sodium ions rush in. And that creates the electric current. 
Right. Okay. The sodium ions are positive. So the, mm-hmm. all this positive charge rushes inside the negative. Inside. Cell. Right. And that produces the electricity. And then, like you said, it's stacked. So it's like a cascade. When one triggers, they all trigger. And then so it just sends off this avalanche of activation that happens in milliseconds and it Zaps out what well, now we know up to over 800 volts. 860. 860 volts in some of these species. So that is their brain saying, you know, fire. And that's how that works at the cellular level. And then they generate this pulse, their whole body, this main organ is boom, this pulsing. So what our, our friend, I mean, this gets into a little bit of the behavior. So it's, it's, how does it use this? Right. And I don't know if you watched some of his videos or not, but he was showing like how he used goldfish and how he measured the electric currents. And he's done a bunch of different experiments looking. So the, the bottom line is they go and they use low electric pulses like two yeah this gets really really uh, his work is it's like crazy it's like a it's like a superhero kind of maybe a villain i don't know but go ahead all right no it's to say about it it's nuts it's nuts oh it was in you know and and so basically what they're trying to do is 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 it acts like a taser they're trying to tase their fish so the fish Uh don't squirm and they're able to eat it catch it and eat it and then they suck in with the fish it sucks into its mouth and that's how they eat it all right. So the way he described it, it was so cool. Okay. He goes out, the, the eel goes out and lets go low pulses. And what it does, it when it hits you or a fish, it makes you twitch, which then they're using that electrosensory sure. to feel that twitch mm-hmm. to go in and find their prey. Either when they're near it or they grab it, then they fire the, the six to 860 volts to stun the prey mm-hmm. because acts like a taser, like the police carry or other people carry that what it does is that electricity makes all your muscles tighten and you can't move. So this electric eel goes around. It's almost like sonar. I would think it's like these low pulses, boom, boom. It twitches it zeroes in on that twitch and then fires its electric to stun it and then can grab it to eat it. Gets even more crazy is the eel itself, its head region is positively charged. Mm-hmm. Its tail region is negatively charged. Mm-hmm. And their hunting behavior is they will curl around their prey to shock it so much that its muscles are exhausted and it can't move that it, it's just the muscles tighten so much. It's just, it, it exhausts them and then they eat it. It's just nuts. It's nuts. It's yeah. nuts. It's incredible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's... Well, and just to have the ability to control the high voltage versus the low voltage. And that's, mm-hmm. I mean, that's some of the reason, obviously why they have these different three organs because mm-hmm. Some are for the low voltage and some are for the high voltage, but yeah, it's just really, it's, it's, it's out of a sci-fi movie, man. It is. It is. It is superpowers. It is. Yeah. And it's just incredible. And I, you did a great job describing it. 
because well yeah it's but <laughs> they're just speechless it's like what do you yeah. say about it like you know and it's biology it's not like you said they don't plug in right so no, no. you know then then it goes back so that goes back to the resting potential sure right we know mm-hmm. like our muscles that mm-hmm. sodium is is forced back out mm-hmm. and then it does it again and it can do this like a hundred times when it's hunting like it mm-hmm. just does it over and over and over and then I think the only thing it's limited by is its nutrient intake. I mean, that's what I would think. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's just incredible. I mean, yeah. Wow. And that's what I guess I never really fully understood just knowing about the electric eel was, yeah, this mm-hmm. high versus low voltage and, uh, yeah. And then how they, yeah, like you said, curl their bodies and, go go even further gusto yeah i mean it's uh it's amazing um but i think it's a good time too to talk about what happens to them i mean that seems like yeah it, you, do they right do so they how do they themselves? not how do they not electrocute themselves like right or if there's two of them together like Right, right. Well, that's a the question with two of them. I, I, I don't have an answer for that. Um, no. I'll have to do some more deep dives. I would imagine yeah. that they potentially could. Um, and the and as far as themselves go, they they do hurt themselves a little bit uh, when they fire one of those big daddy volts. Mm-hmm. Um, you can sometimes see them flinch a little bit, so they will frequently shock themselves. But they have protective measures. And so one thing is that, uh, protective slimy mucosa on their skin layer that helps uh, protect them from their own current. And also too, they can reduce the danger of themselves by flexing mm. their bodies in a shape that prevents the electric current from passing through their heart. Oh, okay. So that okay. might be some of the movement too that you see them mm-hmm. do. Uh, and now, however, when they're out of water, which we'll talk about when we get to behavior, they do jump and they mm-hmm. will, they will jump and attack predators. I don't know if they necessarily typically hunt prey that way, but if they're feeling, you know, threatened by a predator, they will come out of the water. And when they're out of the water, they are actually more susceptible to their own, uh, electric electric shocks. Uh, hmm. and that's because their charge doesn't readily dissipate through the air the same mm-hmm. way that it does through the water, right? So the charge dissipates a lot better through the water. So they have to be careful when they do, when they are jumping out of the water, giving shocks, which Dr. Ken was giving some examples of that. And was right. pr- pretty gnarly in some of those videos I, w- I think I sent you. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so the, the, the long and short of it is they do hurt themselves a little bit, but they have protective mechanisms to not really hurt themselves the same way they obviously are hurting a prey. Yeah, and I think, yeah, I imagine they might prey on another eel that's smaller, but like, especially during mating, because I know you're going to get to repro. Mm-hmm. I imagine they, it's, you're not too excited. <laughs> it's like mate and run. I don't know. You know, well, I mean, a little bit. Uh, there's, yeah. a, there's a little, there's, a, there's a little bit of a electricity Courtship. that happens between males and females. So we'll talk All right, about we'll that. All right. We'll get there. We'll get there. Mm-hmm. So my, here's a question I had. Angie, okay. So we have these electric eels. 860 volts is no joke. No joke that, you know, that could. Yeah, I think that's like one amp. Yeah. Well, okay. So 
in the U.S., in our outlets, right? Um, you know, if you're ever a kid or don't ever, oh my goodness, no, I shouldn't even go there. Talk about it. It, it can kill you. You know, our outlets can kill you. Yeah, we have special metal covers for, for right. our house. For the kids, ours, yeah. with the kids. Mm-hmm. But that's only generating 120 volts here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. In Europe, other countries, New Zealand, Australia, it's 220 volts. Oh, wow. Okay. If sustained, that will kill you. That will kill, you know, stop your heart. Sure. So my question is, how could electric eel not kill you? And the answer is it's extremely rare because the shock happens so fast within milliseconds, it's not sustained. Right. So people say it's like touching an electric fence, you know, for livestock oh, or something. Oh, like I that. did that. Yeah. I grew up <laughs> touching electric fences. I still not have like fun. a phobia of them. Um, yeah. man, one threw me on the ground when I was probably about 10 years old. I like, right. I couldn't let go. I was like, ah, oh, at my least God. that's how so I remember in my 10 year old yeah. brain. It was for some mm-hmm. stud horse. And, uh, yeah, I like jerked back to, and then fell on the ground. And yeah, I've never, yeah. I've not been a fan of electric fences ever since. So that's what it is for touching electric eel when it zaps you. That's what it's like. Now, if you have a heart condition or something like that, it can cause respiratory distress or start your, stop your heart. So if you have a weak heart or things like that. So, definitely be careful around them. Very rare for people to die. Usually what I read happens in water. People get shocked and maybe pass out and drown or something like that. So, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So swim with that's, a friend. Right. If you're, but swim, that's if you're how, swimming in the right. Amazon river. <laughs> God, there's so many things in the Amazon. <laughs> there's a fish. A there's, it's true. There's a fish that will f- swim up your urethra. Like, have you ever heard like that? Like I said, oh, I, I, I was on a boat. <laughs> it's, it's it's true. It does. And it gets stuck. Oh my goodness. I can't even imagine. We'll have to figure out what fish that is. I'm sure one of our listeners will tell us, you know, that, uh, the urine stream like attracts them. The, yeah. The I've nitrogen. heard about that. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. Stayed on the boat. <laughs> that in Mallory's, when I was in wait, Brazil. That in Mallory's 17 inch leash, leech. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, you don't want to get bit by one of those. It's got to hurt. So yeah. I mean, just, you know, Definitely respect them, but I wouldn't go picking them up. And even in looking at Dr. Ken's videos, I mean, he's using protective stuff sure. and mm-hmm. when he's messing with them. Uh, one of the things, you know, th- that they do use it is to protect themselves. So very rare for them to be preyed upon because they can generate that voltage. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they, you know, some things can try to eat them, but you know, when they're shocking, it, it's, I'm sure it's no fun. You know, I don't yeah. see jaguars and out there catching electric eels for lunch. Mm-hmm. No, 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 thank you. They're smarter than that. Yeah. Like we'll get a caitman or something. Okay, Angie, before we jump to behavior real quick, what they eat, like I said, fish. Sure. Uh, sometimes they'll eat invertebrates. Uh, maybe vertebrates, small ones, they might, like you said, jump out and, and catch them. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't read. Yeah. They, their diet's mainly aquatic. Uh, what's in there? Yeah, I just found smaller fish, smaller invertebrates in general. So uh, pretty much anything they can stun and then eat, eat. right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, eat to uh, replenish. But all right, so we talked about hunting behavior, mm-hmm. the shocking behavior. What's some other mm-hmm. cool stuff they do? Well, they are nocturnal hunters. So they live in the muddy water. It's dark. It doesn't really – I mean – Starker, I guess, at nighttime. Um, but that might be another way that they can, you know, surprise their prey. And as you mentioned, they have, uh, a, the positive 
charge is near their head and the tail end is negative. And so when they're scanning their environment, uh, using generating an electric current, right. To learn about if something's out there, uh, Mm -hmm. they often begin at the tail and then finish with the head. So sometimes in order to do this, they'll swim backwards and the polarity of the fish itself helps create this electric field around it and for hunting, which basically dictates a lot of the animal's behavior and how it moves. Um, and so from what I found is they are solitary except for when they're, um, breeding and they're, as you said, Chris, they're not aggressive animals. So they're not going to, mm-hmm. you know, if you stuck your foot in the Amazon, they're not going to come leaping out to get you. Right. right uh, right. They, especially once again, too, they're nocturnal. So that's when they're usually going to be, uh, out there hunting, but they will leap out of the waters if they need to shock a predator. So, uh, it, if they do feel threatened or something, perhaps mm-hmm. during the day, that's when maybe they, they would come out of the water. And so, um, yes, just, I guess, be, be careful if you're in the Amazon river basin <laughs> swimming around, um, well, I remember one video that you sent me, Dr. Ken, he has the, the alligator head mm-hmm. and like how it just jumps out of the water and oh, like yeah. lays its body on it. Electric eel don't care. Electric eel yeah, like, I got this. <laughs> it's just like rubbing its back. It's like underneath its, its chin. Just yeah. Rawr, and the yeah. Like here, the, take this, take mm-hmm. this. Yeah. And you can just hear it going. Yeah. Yeah. Simulator. So anyways, yeah, that's what Chris and I did all week. Send each other funny videos back and forth. Electric eels. But yeah, so, and once again, I think too, because with them being nocturnal and researchers are very interested in this, um, bioelectricity factor that they have, um, but there's not too, too much really studied about them in their natural habitat, right? Because, well, they're nocturnal and they're deep in the Amazon. So, um, probably still some secrets out there that we don't necessarily know about them. And so I was trying to find like communication patterns of electric eels to one another. How do, yeah, like Chris said, how do they not shock each other? How do, like, what's their territory? I couldn't find a ton about that, like I said, in their natural habitat. Uh, but what we do know about other species of electric fish, um, is potentially indicative of what might be going on too with the electric eel. And so, Electric fish often do use the electric fields that they generate as a way to communicate with one another by using distinct patterns of discharge. So I kind of think of it like as a little bit of a miniature Morse code. And these distinct patterns of electrical charge that they're discharging can communicate things like aggression or alarm, or submission, or even courtship behaviors. So pretty, pretty cool stuff, right? So they're using right, right. it. And of course, we don't understand it because A, we can't feel it. And B, we don't necessarily know, you know, what this electric fish language is. So once again, this was not an electric eel per se, but this was in other species of electric producing fish. And so it's you know, I would, I would garner to say similar, there's some similar yeah, stuff similar. going on electric yep, yep. eels. Um, and researchers have been able to find though, that the electric eel does have 
um, a well-developed sense of sound, but it's different than what we think of it, uh, what we know mm-hmm. sound to be, or for marine mammals that we've talked about before in the podcast. What they have is this thing called a Weberian apparatus that connects basically the ear to the swim bladder, which helps basically greatly enhance their uh, their sense of hearing. So they can probably pick up on other sound wave type things that are going through right. the water as well. Okay. Okay. So yeah. it's just, yeah, just really, I mean, yeah. just All the really senses, yeah. cool, cool stuff. Yeah. It's almost like, how do they smell? You know, they probably do that too. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think, obviously I think this electric, electro reception and electrogenesis is like, yeah, I mean, that's kind of their, their main yeah, sense thing. of, of yeah. their superhero ability. And then right. obviously they have, you know, uh, other ones as well, just not as mm-hmm. highly developed and mm-hmm. um, not as helpful. Right. Right. And then other than that, like looking into some of the reproduction uh, is that typically at electric eels, the literature says that they will reproduce during the dry season, but newer studies, especially maybe some of these other species that have been found is that they can produce during the wet season as well. Um, so it's, there's still, I think a lot of research that needs to be completely, you know, solidified. And so when looking up electric eel courtship, I couldn't find too many nitty gritty details, but researchers do think, I gotta love this, uh, that females are attracted to bigger males. Males in general are bigger than females, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but they think that females are attracted to the biggest males out there. And that's who they're going to select as their partner. And it's because they got a big old electric organ. So because <laughs> right, most generates of electricity. Yeah. Most of their size yeah. comes from the electric right. organ. Right. Right. And right, so right. if a female's, you know, senses that a male is bigger, that's, you know, who she probably wants to, uh, romanticize with. So I thought that. Oh, well, you know, when you're six foot five. That's oh. right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so the ladies, well, you know, it's fitness too. You know, they, sure, they see the, sure, the, right. The, and then, and, and the larger males good are, offspring. But yeah. I was hoping for some, you know, electric slide dance moves. Or yeah. Whatever. Nope. But <laughs> nope. what I did find in digging is so other species of weekly electric fish, uh, females have been shown to be attracted to males depending on how they discharge their electric currents. So, just go just I'd go right up and just zap her, you know. Hey, yeah. So right. they, they, like, hey, baby, like that means yeah, like knock how, her on her, like, knock her on her fins. It. Yeah, how they yeah. do it and how powerful they are, like it means yeah. something to them. In yeah. several electric producing fish during courtship, males and females will perform electric duets. So okay. I didn't have time too much. We'll have to pick one of these species. Uh, I didn't have too much time. I, I just have a visual in my mind of what an electric duet is. So uh, <laughs> it's like a disco ball. I don't know I why know, a disco ball. Right? Yeah, so amazing. Oh yeah. gosh, gotta love, gotta love science. Nature. But but yep. what we do know, you're gonna love this. Is so um, when male and female electric eel do find each other, she picks herself a big old daddy. They breed, and uh, the male builds the nest. And provides all the parental care. 
Okay. And not mm-hmm. only does he build a nest, but he has this unusual breeding behavior where he makes the nest from his own saliva in which okay. the female will lay her eggs. Lay the eggs. Okay. And so she can deposit anywhere from, geez, I, I've read 1,200, um, some say 1,700, but I think mm-hmm. maybe on average is about 3,000 uh, eggs in one saliva nest at a time. And he hangs out there and he protects his eggs in his own saliva nest. Okay. Let me ask, does he eat some of the babies? Like I the hellbender? Know, Chris. I mean, I don't, I don't know for sure. I don't want to speak for all male electric yeah. fish out there or electric eels out there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah. I did not find that. And so I did not find okay. that in the literature. Um, Okay. That doesn't mean it did. I was like, not- dad of the year. And then you're like, oh, wait, he eats some of the no, babies. No, <laughs> I, I don't know. I didn't find it. So that doesn't yeah. mean, like I said, I think they, we need more research done. We, we'll have to ask Dr. Ken. Um, okay. He may okay. know the answer to that. So. Yeah, okay. 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 But yeah. So at this point, as far All as right. we know, electric eel yeah. is a good daddy. So. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Good. Good. The hellbender was until he eats his kids. Yeah. It's just a few. Just, it's just, uh, just a few to get by. <laughs> Cassowary dad's still number one. I'll, I'll, I'll go to the grave and say that one. So, you know, look at their conservation, Angie. I mean, least concern, stable populations, but that's again why I kind of opened up about the Amazon because, you know, this is another species. If the Amazon does turn into a savanna, that would critically affect animals like this and where they live. So, you know, we need to protect the Amazon because things like electric eels live there among the other million species that live in in that part of the world. So, you know, they're doing okay. They're doing okay right now. Now, dare I ask, is there an electric eel society out there? I'm glad you asked. No, of course there's not. (laughs) Okay, I think so. Of course not. (laughs) I think there's researchers doing really cool things, like I said, to kind of harness some of this, uh, the biophysical properties um, or mimic them or learn about them. Mm -hmm. But no, not necessarily. And so obviously the Amazon... I've been on it. I've been um, in the meeting of the waters where the black water meets the brown uh, water, the Amazon meets the Rio Negro. And mm-hmm. it's just a gorgeous area and it needs to be protected and the water needs to be taken care of. And so the organization I want to give a shout out to is the uh, Wildlife Conservation Society. And so www.wcs.org. Um, they, of course, have really amazing animal conservation projects that they work on. But one of the more recent campaigns that they've undertaken is called um, the initiatives of the Amazon waters. And so the WCS has launched an innovative initiative that recognizes the value of fisheries, wildlife, and their aquatic habitats in the Western Amazon. And basically the need to manage these resources sustainably to contribute to the life of the local people. So clean water, safe water, clean forests, forests around there, uh, it's all interconnected. And so the WCS is working to build analytical analytical tools, management, policies, partnerships that basically permit this water conservation to be planned and coordinated 
um, at the scale necessary to manage all the complexity of the people and the animals mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the trees and all that, um, all the economic activities in the region there. So I, uh, just want to give him a shout out and we'll, we'll put some, we'll put the, uh, the website on the show notes. And of course the, I think I probably have highlighted the, um, well, so. yeah, so. the, um, the wildlife conservation society before I actually want to get him on here for an interview, but my hat's off to you for talking about the water too. Right. And, uh, yeah. which obviously the electric eels will benefit from some of these initiatives. So, um, thanks yeah, for, for your sure. hard work for in sure. doing that. So really important to, to focus on, uh, good, clean water. And, yeah, all, and the people yeah, and the and people that live around there as well too, right? Yep, They've been yep, indig- yep. indigenous people have been there for forever and they deserve a safe place to live. And I just love that there's organizations out there doing this stuff. Like I just, I love hearing about them and what they're doing, you know, it gives me a lot of heart and where we're heading. So with that, and I, you know, we opened up with the Amazon and, and something you and I've talked about less meat consumption. So I wanted to, give a little bit more data and, and back up a little bit what we've said in the past about this. And, you know, if you look at what the UN, the FAO, uh, Food and Agriculture Organization reports, as far as carbon emissions, where what is contributing to all this carbon in the atmosphere and where agriculture fits. All right. So most of the carbon that's being dumped is obviously the burning of fossil fuels for energy. of all carbon emissions is from cars, coal plants, things like that. Okay. Agriculture is only up to 18%, depends on the the thing you're looking at, anywhere from 13 to 18% contributing. So it does contribute. It's just not the main one. I mean, driving is the main one. So, you know, when we talk about, you know, more energy efficient cars, things like that, that is what you can do. But when you look at agriculture, okay, as a whole, this data is what really surprised me uh, looking this up. And I knew it was a big piece. I didn't realize it was this big of a piece. Taking that chunk out, 35%, so over a third of carbon emissions from agriculture are from ruminants, which is mainly cows. So methane is what we're concerned with them with methane. Then another 12% is their manure or waste on pastures. And then manure management is another just managing, you know, with everything that goes into the, the carbon emissions with that, as far as, you know, taking care of it, processing, all of that. So half of ag production comes mainly from animal agriculture, which is mainly ruminants, which is mainly cows. So, you know, things like, Growing crops, uh, grains, other things, it's, it's, it's not as much of an impact as animal ag is. So looking at deforestation in the Amazon and looking at some of these reports, 80% of the Amazon is deforested because of cattle. You know, you and I have talked in the past about, oh, soy and maybe corn, some of these other things. 80% can go straight to cattle. Well, and you got to feed them though. So that's where I think too, some of yeah. the. The feed, clearing it. Yeah. So, you know, where are the cows in the world? I I thought this data was kind of interesting and you and I are are kind of familiar with this. If we look at just beef cows, number one's Brazil, 55 million 
beef cows are in Brazil right now. That's 27% of the world population. China was number two. Then the U.S. comes in at 30 million. Uh, Argentina, 21 million. Australia, 12 million. Now, that's beef cows. If you take just cows, mm-hmm. moo cows, okay, so dairy, everything else, again, Brazil leads the world with 211 million cows. Hmm. There's about 1.5 billion cows on Earth. So 211 million are in Brazil. Can you guess number two? This might surprise you. Mm. They don't eat them. India. Yeah, India, mm-hmm. number two. 189 million. Okay. And China, 113 million. U.S., almost 90 million. Ethiopia came in at 54 million, wow. which is interesting. Mm-hmm. And it's not just beef cows. It's dairy cattle. Uh, they use it for leather. Draft animals. They use it mm-hmm. to pull carts and stuff. Of course, sure. Uh, and then, you know, their fertilizer, things like that. So, you know, we, we, we talk about eating less beef. It, it has an impact when you eat less beef. Cows are the number one contributor as far as meat consumption. It's the amount of per kilogram of carbon per kilogram of meat produced beef is by far the the greatest. Mm -hmm. Lamb came in at number two. Big, big, uh, Hmm. because of ruminants. I didn't know that. I thought lamb. I was like, oh, I'll just eat grass-fed lamb. Nope. They're just as bad. Then there's this huge decrease down to pork. And then chicken, fish, and eggs, you know, less of an impact. Okay. And then looking at your grains and things, fruits, vegetables, even milk, uh, has less of an impact, uh, mm-hmm. compared to just red meat. Right. So red meat is the one. So tip of the week, looking at some of this data, just try to cut down on red meat consumption the best if you you're can. you're in the States I mean, and you're a fan of, uh, red meat or burgers, you should try the Impossible Burger or the Beyond good. Burger. Yeah, it's a new one, yeah. Uh, yeah, they're getting rave reviews. I think Burger King's even actually mm-hmm. has it on their menu now. Mm-hmm. So, then uh this is a plant-based meat or plant-based protein that's supposed to be just like meat or taste just like meat and right. have the same texture. Uh so I prefer black bean burgers myself. I'm not a big Yeah, just... I'm not a big burger person, so that's an easy one for me. But yeah, there's definitely a lot if you Especially depend. I mean, depending on where you live, we're lucky here in the mm-hmm. states that we have a lot mm-hmm. of a lot of alternatives, alternatives. to vote with our yeah. dollar. And yeah, yeah. Like in our family, yeah, we're it, trying to do red meat twice a month. Yeah, less, a lot yeah. reduced. And 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 let me say this too. And, and I, I do want to acknowledge this. Okay, so a lot of people think, oh, how much Brazilian beef is imported to the United States? Not much. Uh, the key export markets are point. Hong Kong. Egypt, yeah. China, Russia, and the EU. We have listeners we, in all of those we countries. We do. We do. So I'm saying they are getting a lot of this Brazilian beef. I will also give tip my hat to there are companies in Brazil. So I think it's Carrefour, which is from France, uh, Group Casino, which is from France, Walmart Brazil. They are all sourcing their beef or trying to from not deforested lands. Awesome. So what that's telling me is they are listening and Mm -hmm. they are feeling the impact when you vote with your dollar and say, okay, you know, this is uh, climate change is a problem. Deforestation is a problem. I love animals. I live in the Amazon, even the electric eels. 
Yes. So, you know, and, I, and I'm doing it. I mean, like I haven't had a ribeye steak in two years. I, I mean, I used sure. to always have a ribeye once a week. I, I loved ribeye steaks and I still do. I just haven't had one in two years. Right. I just, I can't consciously eat it. I just no. can't. Mm-mm. So, you know, and that's a personal choice, but again, conservation tip of the week. If you love eels, electric eels, you love the Amazon, just have a veggie burger every now and then. Yes. It makes an impact. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So Angie, you stuck with it. Good job. I know. I think I'm feeling better than I felt all week. So yeah, you sound awesome. You're you're sounding healthy. So (laughs) go get some tea and get some sleep. I will. I will. But I'm excited for uh, next week. The species we have on the docket is going to be pretty Mm -hmm. fun. And I will be more coherent as well. Uh, But like I said, I didn't really, I didn't really need to be too uh too coherent to study these uh electric eels because it was just man i when i i think i opened with before i opened with the fact that they breathe air and i still have mm-hmm. not i have not done with that my brain is not fully <laughs> wrapped right. itself around that one totally all um, right we'll find we'll find an air breathing fish there's a few out there that uh we can do a podcast on and so really cool. dork out on it, dork out on it. Man, yeah, all yeah. creatures, great and small, they're amazing. I tell they you, are. I love this podcast, and I appreciate you all for listening and sticking with us. And uh, keep your comments coming, and uh, subscribe, rate, and review. Mm-hmm. We always mm-hmm. appreciate that. Um, we uh, will give you a shout out if you do as well. So thank you for listening. Yeah, we'll be back next week. You know, check us out on Patreon. Uh, we are going to do the species this week. It just Angie got knocked down, so <laughs> that was a little bit delayed. Yeah. It's coming. Our poll is up for who we're going to give money to for January. And we love the support, so thank you so much. And we'll see you next week. Thank you. Listen, learn, share. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com.